You're listening to the Metaphysical Mentor Podcast with Michael Philpott, providing you inspiration, information, knowledge, and motivation to help you on your soul's path. Covering topics related to health and happiness from the mystical to the metaphysical and everything in between. Making the unknown known. Now let's join the podcast to discover today's topic. And we are recording. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. This is the Metaphysical Mentor Podcast. And I'm your host, Mr. Michael Philpott. Thank you so much for joining me. I am really excited about this topic. And we're going to have a, a, an interesting conversation about dream, dream works, and PTSD dreams. Um, Linda, before we get started, every show, I like to start out by thanking you, the listener. So all my listeners who are listening on Spotify and Apple, I really appreciate that. If you're listening on Apple, do me a favor, leave me a five star, let everybody know that, hey, the show is, is, is exists out there. I really appreciate that. It's also on YouTube and Rumble too as well. And for all you YouTube people and all my listeners, head over to my YouTube channel, like, subscribe, hit that smash button, that like button, smash, subscribe, do all that great stuff, leave some comments, all that stuff. I'd really appreciate that. And then for all you listeners too as well, if you'd like to donate to the show, give it a little bit of love, a little bit of uh, sponsorship, because that's you. You are the sponsors of this show. So I, again, anything that you can do to help out the show would be fantastic. That being said, Linda, I'm going to turn the show over to you. I'm just going to have a quick drink here. Okay. All right. So Linda, I am so happy. You know, we were originally supposed to have this interview last year. And, uh, and, and that's actually when your book came out was last year, correct? Right. Just a little over a year now. A little over a year now. And it's such a popular thing. So one of the things I was very curious about your work is dream work itself. Now, I'm a big fan of dream work. And I always like, you know, to talk about my own clients about dream work. And when doing my research, I found this uh, listening to one of your uh, other episodes that you did with another podcast. And you were saying like dream, dream therapy or dream work is almost like free therapy. <laughs> and I and I love that quote because I think it's I think it's uh, dream work is so underrated these days. When did you get start? When did you get started interested in, in working with dream works in your own practice? So I first started. Thank thank you. A thank you for listening to the other podcast and for remembering that quote. Um, and I do tell my clients that you know they're not limited to the hour a week or every other week. Um, I started with dream work in my own personal life and then. As I got more and more interested in it and, and learned about it, it was a natural trans, uh, transition to bring it into my professional life as well, because I do in my professional life and have for a long time a lot of alternative styles of, of therapeutic intervention, including EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, a lot of different various energy psychology methods, and a lot of somatic therapies and interventions. And the part that was missing was how to connect the body, mind, heart, and spirit. And dreams really do that. Yeah. Because the dreams come, depending on you know you and your listeners' viewpoint, where they come from, at least in part, they are messages from our own psyche, from our own unconscious or subconscious, giving us information that we need and haven't quite been able to access in our, our waking life. Well, it's a perfect complement to everything else we're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting too. I mean, I, I mean, we can go on to all the other stuff because I'm a big fan of EMDR, EFT, mm -hmm. all that stuff. The the idea of the somatic stuff, 
Now with dreams and dreams, so what's the difference between like just a, a regular dream, a bad dream, and a nightmare? Right. So a regular dream, the way we differentiate between those types of dreams is based on what's called the emotional narrative. In okay. The dream. So we have our storyline. We have what happens. We have the characters. We have the, the, um, the setting, the images. And then in addition to the sort of the storyline of the dream, we have the emotions that go along with the dream. So the emotional narrative accompanying your dream is what helps us differentiate between a dream, a bad dream, or a nightmare. So a quote-unquote regular dream would be one that has pleasant or neutral emotions where you're feeling happy or you're feeling good or you're feeling curious, some kind of a positive or neutral emotion. Bad dream would be one, I would call, where you would be a little upset, a little concerned, a little worried, a little uneasy, but not full full blown panic or terror or, or dread or anger. When it gets to the category of what we would call a nightmare is when the emotions are sort of really overtaking us or overwhelming us in, in the dream scene and in the dream itself. So when we have large, difficult emotions in our dream, like fear, like panic, like anger, um, then we would put it into the category of nightmare. Okay. So it's, it, so it's basically the, the extent of the emotion that's really causing the differentiate between the different dreams. So with that emotion, is it because usually during our waking time that we're usually trying to suppress those type of emotions? And then while we're sleeping, the, the gateway to the subconscious is open for our body to try to process those type of emotions that may have been caused by some type of trauma. You said it beautifully. <laughs> I don't even know that I have much to add to that because, yes, when, when we're talking about the extreme end of the spectrum of nightmares caused by trauma, trauma can be a variety of different things. It could be something that happened yesterday or last week or last year or in our childhood or in our family history, for that matter. It can be personal trauma. It can be global trauma. It can be family trauma. So there's a lot of different varieties of, of traumatic events and experiences that one can have. And we can only process as much as our um, our being is able to process in the moment of what's happening. So we, we have a lot of different um, internal mechanisms for keeping ourselves safe and sane. And one of those mechanisms is what's called dissociation. Yeah. So dissociation is when your body-mind system cannot process anymore. There's too much going on in your childhood or in your adolescence or last week or last month, whatever it is where the traumas occurred. So your body-mind wisely makes a separation and sort of splits off parts of the memory, whether it's parts of the narrative memory or of what happened or parts of the emotional memory. So you're remembering things, but have no feelings about it. Either the memory of the storyline of what happened or the memory of the emotions connected to that get tucked away in a hidden corner somewhere in our psyche until our being determines that it's safe enough in our daily life now for us to begin to remember, reclaim, and then therefore be able to process the things that we had to tuck away until we were ready. 
Uh, I think that's the probably the most difficult part of the healing journey is to feel that safety to, in order to move forward and to address those things. Because depending on the type of trauma and uh, whatever has happened in the individual's life, it could be really horrific, you know, some really deep, dark stuff that be that has been, you know, tucked away and for a good reason to in order to protect yourself uh, on those different levels. So is there ways of knowing when to start working with that? Let's or maybe we should clarify the types of trauma and maybe work on PTSD first. So just give it a broad definition of that. So for people who are listening, they can understand when it might be a good idea to to really start working and developing that because most of the times we we're just go on an automatic pilot we're basically zombies we walk through you know we walk through our life you know we're shut down we don't want to feel these things and i mean i can talk to my own uh, my own life and what's been going on but let's talk about the ptsd because you know a lot of people right now are have a lot of trauma and this part of the spiritual waking is they're waking up to this part of healing the aspect of their inner selves. And uh, some people just not recognize it. So maybe we can touch on that if you don't mind. Sure. So when we use the, the word trauma and the word and the phrase PTSD kind of gets tossed around a lot these days, it's become part of the vernacular and the kids, you know, the young people, they kind of throw these words around. I remember when my daughter was in high school, you know, she'd come home and she'd say that her friends and her would tease each other and say, oh, you're off your meds today. Did you forget to take your meds. And they just kind of throw this stuff around. It's good news, bad news that it's something in conversation, but it loses its meaning as well. So um, so trauma could be what we'd say sort of capital T or, or small t trauma. And, and, and small t would be the little things that annoy us, irritate us, upset us, you know, but aren't life-threatening to ourselves or others and that we can pretty easily recover from unless we've got a backlog of other stuff that we're carrying around. So if you have a fender bender or you, you know, your cat scratches you badly, or you have an argument with your partner, and you know, you don't make up right away, and you're still mad at each other a week later, and it's really kind of eating away at you. These are all upsetting and bad things, but they would still be in the category of sort of smaller T trauma because they're not life-threatening. No one is endangered. Hopefully with the fender medner, you know, you have insurance, the other person had insurance, you make up with your partner, your scratch heels, and so on. When we have something that is not resolved and that is experienced as life-threatening, whether or not it is, if it's experienced as life-threatening, and particularly when it persists, there can be single episode trauma and then ongoing trauma. So a single episode trauma might be, for example, a natural disaster. We just, you know, Hawaii just had those horrific fires. You know, yeah. Afghanistan has been having one earthquake after another. They actually can't even call the earthquakes in Afghanistan a, a single uh, natural disaster because they, they, they keep coming. Um, you know, any kind of single event, um, a serious sudden illness once that's not a chronic illness. These would be single um, event traumas. But there's lots of type of trauma that go on and on and on, particularly if you've grown up in, in a family where there's physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, serious neglect, 
ongoing medical trauma, abandonment, kind of the list goes on. And then there's no chance to catch your breath. And there's no chance to recover in between. And there's no place that feels like real or relative safety before or after, because it's sort of endless. So in that case, the trauma goes very deep into our system. And then we are at risk for developing PTSD. So PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Not everyone who has a trauma develops PTSD. And it's not something we refer to when someone is in the middle of their ongoing trauma, because then it's acute. There's nothing post about it. If you're still experiencing a traumatic event, whether it's personal, familial, or global. But once the event or events themselves are no longer occurring, and you're still having symptoms of response as if you were still not safe, and as if the trauma was still occurring, then we're in the realm of PTSD. Okay. Wow. So that's what usually you would understand the post-trauma is like you're saying that we're still in where the body and every the mind still think we're still in danger, even though we're not in the danger, but we're into that, you know, hyper vigilance, hyper awareness. Uh, exactly. The body is is constantly in a state of agitation or aggression because they're always thinking they're in danger. So exactly. that's one of those kind of the telltale signs. And you hear this a lot of uh, with veterans, they, you know, they try to come home, they try to relax or anybody like even law enforcement, they have these type of uh, traumas where, they see a, a bag on the side of the road and they assume it's an IED and they, they go into a panic mode and they right. just can't shut down their nervous system. The nervous system's that. So how much is it, the nervous system influenced by these, uh, by these traumas? Oh, a great deal. And, and that's the key really. It, we need to be able to calm down our nervous system in order to heal from the original traumas. And there's a lot of different ways um, that all include attention to the body and the mind that work the best for calming down our nervous system. Because our, our neuro neuroanatomy and our neurochemistry is still responding as if we were in danger. In our brain, the limbic system of our brain, in particular the, the amygdala, which is where the fight, flight, and freeze response to danger um, is situated, goes off. It goes off when it sees a bag by the side of the road, and even years after you know, the law enforcement, it goes off when there's a loud noise. Um, a, a client of mine literally today who had a really pretty horrible childhood with a dad who um, was not only kind of a raging alcoholic, he also had a mental illness and he was a, a batterer. He, he, hurt, he beat his wife and his kids. And my client grew up with that all his life. So he said to me today, he used the, the phrase that it feels like in his mind and in his body, there are still this clanging, this alarm bell that goes off at the slightest hint of anything that reminds him, not just is, but that reminds him of not being safe. So the stresses of everyday life that you and I might just kind of roll with or you know, get over pretty quickly, he's so primed to being in danger himself or having his mom be in danger that he's reacting to things 
as if he was still three or as if he was still 10 or as if his mom still left the family because she was so badly hurt, um, even though none of those things are happening today. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the the really the sad part about that is that years later, in 2030, 40 years later, the body's still reacting as if they're still in the event. And even though the event has been over for so long, it's those repercussions that afterwards that cause so much this, the ongoing agony. And then sometimes and then if you look at, I know they talk about the science of behind illnesses and all the different things that can come up from this type of, uh, of uh, trauma that's stored in the body that all these different diseases start showing up within their system. And it's because of this unresolved, uh, unresolved trauma. So when did you really start incorporating the dream work? Like how did, what kind of framework did you use to start working with your clients to enable them to start, okay, we're going to start working with your dreams because usually, you know, it's not like a, a normal process when for most psychotherapies, uh, is to start doing dream work. Um, but when did you start really integrating that part of it? So after having it in my personal life for quite some time, I joined an organization called IASD, which is the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And it was, it like opened up new worlds because I was surrounded, every year I go to this amazing conference of people literally from all over the world, scientists, artists, psychotherapists, um, people now doing stuff with AI, um, lay people, who are studying and working with dreams from a variety of different perspectives. And so when I started to go to the conferences, I began to use it more and more in my, in my practice, in my psychotherapy practice as well. And one of the things you said that's so true is that, you know, most psychotherapists aren't well-versed or well-taught or don't think of using dream work. And why is that? We are woefully unprepared to deal with our clients' dreams and nightmares because very few graduate schools of counseling, social work, psychology teach it or orient it to us. So one of my big sort of soapboxes, if you will, is the desire to get the study and recognition of the importance of attending to dreams into schools of counseling, psychotherapy, psychiatry, social work, so that we know what to do when our client comes in. The dream. I've had so many of my colleagues say, well, you know, I never thought to ask my client if they were dreaming. Or they'll say, well, my client came in with a dream and I, I didn't really know what to do with that. I just kind of listened and said, oh, well, what do you think it means? <laughs> um, so learning the skills of how to both respond to and then also to ask about and and highlight the importance of bringing dreams into the into the sessions is something that would be really useful for people who want to do depth psychology and get to sort of the, the roots of the distress. Um, it goes so much faster when you have direct access to unconscious processes, which you get through dream work. And you don't get that in a lot of other ways. No. Now, the only other way I would think about it is maybe hypnosis, where you're relaxing the the, the patient, uh, you know, long enough that they can access that subconscious mind. Because right. usually when, if you're trying to sit with a client across from you, and you're asking about their dreams, their conscious mind is trying to rationalize it. And they're trying to figure out, well, this, maybe, maybe I didn't see this or that. 
Do you use um, hypnotherapy in your practice to get them to recall the dreams that they may be working with or the nightmare or the, the specific trauma that uh, may be suppressed within them? So let me answer that question in a few ways. Sure, please. Um, first, I do, I have, I am trained in and I do use hypnotherapy and hypnotherapeutic techniques in my work, both with and not with dreams. But when someone comes in and they have a dream to work with, I first start with the dream itself. And I ask them, sometimes people will come in and they'll say, I had a dream. So my next question is, do you want to talk about it? Because some people, they don't want to talk about it. They just want to let us know they had a dream. But if they say yes, I say, well, why don't you go ahead and tell me your dream? Because if they're coming in saying I had a dream, they probably already remember it. So we don't need to do a hypnotherapeutic or any other kind of technique in order to help them remember their dreams. Okay. We can go in one of two directions right now, which would be, what do we do when someone comes in with a dream? Or what do we do when someone says, I never either remember my dreams or some people say I don't have dreams, which we can easily tell them, well, actually, we all dream every night. We have you know five to seven REM cycles and we all dream every night. We just don't remember them. We tend to only remember the ones we have just before waking up. And there are many, many ways to help remember and recall the dreams if we want to go in that direction. So your call. <laughs> I, you know, I, let's let's do a dream recall because I think that's uh, is important because there are a lot of people who say, oh, "I don't dream," and I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you know we all dream. It's just that it's just I think it's like anything. It's just about a level of practice and becoming consciously aware that I'm dreaming and that I want to remember the dream because so much information we can, we can actually find out, like we're trying to problem solve. And a lot of times we'll get those problem solving uh, messages through our dreams. So let's try, let's work on, uh, you know, recall, because I think if we can get people to start recalling their dreams and working with that, then they can start, you know, into the process of interpretation and developing a process, like in the book, that they could uh, figure out a way to start working with their dreams in a more constructive way. Great. So for people who want to remember their dreams and are interested in it, the first thing to do is have the intention and have it be something that is a value and a goal because we see what we're looking for and we notice what we're paying attention to. So if we really don't care, and some people don't, you know, they are sort of right brain people and left brain people. And if I were to grossly overgeneralize, left brain people who are more sort of linear, mathematical, scientifically oriented, don't really care to remember their dreams as much. It's kind of like random neural firings as, as far as many of them are concerned, though certainly not all. And the, and the artistic, spiritual, thinner boundaried people um, tend to look for uncanny and alternative ways of gathering and accessing information that aren't necessarily linear. So for starters, whether you tend to be more scientific or you tend to be more metaphysical, value it. That in and of itself can be enough to jumpstart the recall process. So in addition to that, if you're going to remember your dreams, you have to not fool your unconscious because it'll know if you're not serious about it. Have a dream journal and writing material next to your bed. Or at very least, 
your phone or your device or whatever it is you're going to, you know, type your type your dream into, or some way to record it in audio fashion. Um, the only downside of the audio is you'll have to transcribe it later, you know, to really work with it, but that might be what works best for people. So you're intending to remember your dream. When you go to sleep at night, you can do a, a process called dream incubation. And at its simplest, it's simply giving your unconscious or your subconscious self the cue that you want to remember. So you can say, I intend or I want to remember and be able to record my dream in the morning. That could be a dream incubation. You can also use dream incubation for problem solving. When you have a dilemma or a concern or a question that you want guidance on, you can incubate the specific dilemma or question and ask them for a specific dream to answer that. But just to remember, you can start with, I want to remember. And then when you wake up, write it down as soon as you possibly can upon waking. Because, you know, when we sit up, when we move, poof, it's like, you know, wisps of smoke and the dream just, just sort of dissipates. So we want to kind of get up slowly, reach for our recording material, write it down and get as much as you can. Record it in the order in which you dreamt it as much as possible. Unless you think, oh my God, there's this little piece at the ending. And if I don't catch the, the ending first, I'll forget it. Go ahead and write the ending first, but then go back and somehow notate the beginning, the middle and the end of your dream. Because the order that the dream shows up, the beginning, the middle and the end of your dream will give us clues and hints as to where you are in your healing and your processing of whatever was going on in the dream. Okay, These so- are a few things. Yeah. So now should we also be aware of the emotion with the dream? Because sometimes mm -hmm. that would be the underlying message of the dream is how I feel when exactly. I wake. So yeah, so that would be a, a good way of understanding that. Now, what happens if you having a dream uh, or, you know, a nightmare or something like that, mm -hmm. wakes you out of bed, and then you kind of lose that sense because you get jarred up, like, you know, you know, usually something with a high impact emotion you're going to remember it, you know, mm -hmm. um, they always talk about it's either nightmares or sex dreams. That's what makes you remember certain things when you have that type of excitement. It's like, Ooh, I remember that dream. But right. what happens when you wake up and you had to go to the washroom because your bladder's full and you go to the washroom right. and you come back and you don't have the same dream. You have a different dream, but the dream prior to you waking up to relieve the bladder was more important than the the dream afterwards, or how can we go back into the first dream? Mm -hmm. So in terms of which dream was more important, I'd say we, there generally is not a hierarchy of importance okay. in dreams that we want to sort of honor and value all the dreams that come through, including the little tiny snippets when people say, oh, it was just a snippet. It doesn't matter. Sometimes a snippet is just the reader's digest version of, of the whole thing. But if you are jarred awake, if your alarm clock went off or you have to go to the bathroom or, or whatever it is, one of my favorite ways for recapturing the dream that you had is what's called positional memory. And that means you put your body back in the same position that it was in when you had the dream. Oh. 
like so that. So if you sleep on your left side and your knees are curled up and you kind of got your hands clutching your pillow, do that. And it never ceases to amaze me how if I lie still for a few seconds, almost inevitably, I'm going to recapture the threads of the dream and then be able to sort of weave them, weave them back together into the wholeness of the dream. Wow, I, I like that. I really like that idea. Because often myself, I'll I'll find times where it's like I'm having this dream, and it, it seems very uh, prophetic. And and then all of a sudden, oh, geez, I gotta go. You know, gotta go to the washroom. And then you go to the washroom, come back, and it's like, where's that dream? You know, because it was it was just kind of that profound dream. So what happens to us when we have such a recurring dream that recurs the same dream over and over and over again? Whether it's a bad dream or a nightmare, but especially if it's a nightmare, why does it just keep persisting? Yeah, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to I want to just give a little lightness to what you were saying before, because you you've mentioned a few times going to the washroom, which is a lovely euphemism. Yes. <laughs> um, so depending on what you need to do in the washroom, you can bring your journal with you. And when you're done, write it right there. Just just a suggestion. I mean, if you got your hand once your hands are free, you know. <laughs> or yeah. if you're talking into your phone, you only need one hand. So that was just, you know, on, on the lighter side there. I, I like that idea. Yeah, I'll wash my hands first and then yeah, yeah, make sure I have right. that. <laughs> I've had dreams that I remember. I'm standing in the shower. It's in the morning and I'm in the shower. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I had a dream and I'm remembering it. So what I'll do if I'm standing in the shower, for example, is I'll kind of repeat in my mind what I remember you know, through the rest of the shower until I've dried off and then I'll and then I'll go write it down. So it's sort of never too late to capture it if if you can. Um so to your other question though about nightmares, bad dreams and, and reoccurring dreams. Reoccurring dreams are like an SOS from the unconscious, which is telling us there's something you're not done with. There's something that's unresolved. There's something that's still haunting you or following you that needs your attention. And our dreams will continue to kind of up the ante, sometimes getting more and more insistent and more and more strident until we finally pay attention. But basically, this is a, um, a uh, an adept from the, are a, are a way of thinking from ADEP, which is um, Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, that we are all hardwired for healing. Our body, mind systems want to move in the direction of wholeness and healing, even if we're having nightmares. But there are things we have to resolve and we have to do in order to get there. So the nightmares are like an SOS saying, wake up to your dreams. There's something you need to either remember or work with or confront or receive and any or all of the above. And then there's going to be a call to action. Once we understand what is this nightmare about? Where did it come from? What do we need in order to heal the, the ourselves or others of the characters in the nightmare? then there's going to be some kind of real world live action to do. It might be a ritual. It might be a contribution to a cause. It might be making amends with your parent who you haven't spoken to in three years. Whatever it is, the dream will then direct us toward 
action steps we can take in our life that will actually change our lives. Wow. I like that. So when is it, when do you, when do you, when should a person seek professional help with some type of trauma or PTSD or anything like that? When is there a good indication that they should really kind of seek uh, professional help and, and get into some type of therapy? When their nightmares or their waking struggles or symptoms are interfering with their life and their ability to function. If they're struggling to get out of bed because they're so depressed, or if they can't leave the house because they're so anxious, I'm using sort of extreme examples here. Yes. But if their daily life and functioning, and if their relationships with friends, parents, loved ones, children are suffering because they're otherwise preoccupied with either too much or too little, too much fear too little feeling, numbness, depression, or fear and anger, you know, the two sort of ends of, of the upset spectrum, then it's probably time to say, you know, I haven't been able to get past this on my own. It's probably time to talk to someone. And if they're having nightmares where they're waking up in panic or they're kicking their partner or their partner is saying, you've woken me up every night for the past two months screaming. Do you know why? And you don't. That might be a hint that there's something you're screaming about in your sleep that you really need to pay attention to, both for your own well-being and for the sake of your partner getting a good night's sleep as well. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things that uh, there used to be a, a, a you know a large stigma uh, attached to mental health and getting help. And right. I know as as a, as a as a man, it's it's very very difficult to reach out for help and to. Uh, to actually say that, uh, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling here. Maybe I should mm -hmm. go see somebody because we're, we're the worst for that. It's like, no, I'm fine. No worries. I'll just continue on with my life. No, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And, you know, we always try to minimize it and just move on and just, you know, got to man up. But I, you know, I, yeah, it's just one of those things that, which is, is a horrible thing for, for men in general, but also just for humanity itself and where you just suppress all that stuff and it just lingers and you just, you just can't be the, the perfect person that you wanted to be and enjoy that health, that vitality. So I always say to other guys, I say, listen, Hey, I went down to therapy route and I'm sure glad I did. And when I, you know, I hit my bottom, I, I, you know, there was no choice. It was just simple. I needed to get, you know, figure things out. So I always yeah. high, highly encourage everybody that if they're struggling to, you know, to reach out and to start doing, um, start doing and taking care of their mental health and, uh, it's very, it, it's difficult. It's not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You're going to get into the, some mucky stuff and it's going to suck. But for the most part, it's, I find it was very liberating at the same time too. And it's that sense of healing. And it's just that continuous growth uh, as a human. I just think we should all be looking and striving to do that. So one of the things you talk about in your book is about this Gaia technique, which I was really cu curious about. Can we talk about that for a second? Yes, I just want to oh, also for a really appreciate and, and underscore your, your shout out to, 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 in general, all people, but in particularly people of, of the male persuasion who are not as, as apt to uh, talk about their feelings as much. And that's a societal thing that, you know, we're, we're taught differently. Um, and one of the good things I think that's going on now with the younger generation is it's much more common and much more out there. And, and the kids, the young people are talking about having all the fields now. 
don't know if you've heard that in your work, but rather than feelings, you're saying, I'm having a lot of feels. You know, let's talk about all those feels. And, and I love it. I think it's great. Um, and in the last couple of years, I've seen a lot more both young men and older men, you know, sort of seek out help, which I think is just a great sign. I actually would love for every teenager to be mandated. You know, part of their school curriculum is going to be at least some short-term therapy because every teenager is going through such a metamorphosis of, of every single part of their life, including their, their body with their, their hormones changing. It would be just, you know, like I think everyone should learn how to swim. Riding a bike is a good skill for everyone to have and a little bit of learning to look at yourself, recognize a feeling before it hits you over the head and breaks you down would be really good for all of our young people and then older people as well. Yeah, I, I just find the emotional intelligent uh, individuals, are, you know, it's such a, something that we really, we need to strive for a little bit more. It just makes us more healthier and to deal with these, the struggles uh, of life because, you know, life's, life can really suck. And uh, it can really drag you down. And if you don't have the necessary tools, like you said, if you have necessary tools at a young age, you can you can use those in times of stress and to manage your stress, to understand what's going on, but understand what's happening with you so that you can self-regulate in a healthy, very healthy way instead of, you know, reaching for pills or video games or alcohol, wherever else you try to do to in order to mitigate uh, any any of the problems that you're facing yeah yeah most addictive behaviors are attempts at self-regulation and 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 affect management so absolutely yeah yeah so when we were going to talk about the guy the the, uh, yeah the guy method i thought that was very very fascinating how about the guided imagery so when we're working with nightmares they're scary and most people would rather not attend to or look at look too closely at things that are frightening. They'd rather run the other direction. That's true for things in waking life and in our sleeping life and our nightmares too, which I think is part of the reason why people don't talk about it as much or get into therapy or find someone, a group to, to, to process their dreams with because who wants to revisit that stuff? So I developed a method of dream work called the Gaia method, which is, stands for Guided Active Imagination Approach. And it's based on two principles. One is on the Jungian style of active imagination, where we can re-enter in waking life the dream and then move around with the dream itself as we're awake. So we can work with and rework different aspects of the dream that might not have come to a good resolution the first time. So that's the Jungian uh, lay. The other pillar that the Gaia method is based on is best practice trauma treatment. And that's based in part, or in large part really, on my experience uh, and study of EMDR. Because when we do EMDR, we first start with resourcing and finding safety and getting to a safe resourced place with enough people, objects, scenes to be able to come back to neutral, come back to a pleasant place before we move into the traumatic or difficult material. So in the Gaia method, there are three steps. And the first step is about establishing safety and resources. So once someone has shared that they had a nightmare or a dream, and I ask them if they want to tell it, they may or may not say yes. 
If they say no, then I say, do you need first to feel safe enough to even tell the dream? If they say yes and they want to tell the dream, I let them tell the dream. Then I say, before we go into that dark place, let's make sure that this time, A, you're not alone, and B, you have resources to feel safe, secure, and protected before we deal with this material. So the whole first part of the dream work, we don't even touch the dream, but we say, what are the people what are the spiritual guides? Do you have pets? Are there objects? Is there safe places? And we create a list of the people, the places, the objects that help them, give them comfort and safety. Um, so, for example, somebody might have a best friend. They say, well, you know what? I want to bring my, my BFF with me into the dream. Great. Let's let's put her, him or her on call. Someone else might say, I want to bring Jesus with me because he, Jesus is my my spiritual guide and my comfort person. Let's bring Jesus. Get 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 Jesus on call. Um, one of the little kids I worked with said, I'm, I, "I'd like Mary Poppins to come with me because she can do everything and she's magic and she can keep me safe." So great, we'll bring Mary Poppins. Um, I think people bring their pets, either alive or dead. I have people bring their ancestors who were resources to them in their life who are no longer alive, but are still available in spirit. So let's bring your mom, whether or not she's passed away five years ago, she's still here for you. So we gather the people, alive or dead, spiritual or cartoon or or from a myth or a fairy tale, um, as a posse. And then I'll say, are there any objects, any talismans that you'd like to bring with you to feel safe, secure, and protected. And people come up with all kinds of different ideas, um, a particular item of clothing. I'm gonna bring the shawl that you know my grandmother gave me. I'm gonna bring that with me into the dream. Or I'm gonna bring a flashlight, because it's dark in there. Mm-hmm. One of my millennials said, I'm bringing my phone because I can take a picture, it's got a flashlight, and I can call for help if I need to. And if I put tracking on, if I get lost in there, someone can find me. I thought that was a brilliant resource to have. (laughs) I like that idea. Yeah. So we collect all the things. And and the protocol is, I keep saying, is there anything else? Do you need anything else to feel safe, secure, and protected? Until they say, no, I'm all set. And I can't tell you how many times people will think they're done when they're not. (laughs) And then I just keep saying, anything else? And then, oh, yeah, now that you mentioned it, one more thing. So once we get it, no, I'm all set. And the next step in the Gaia method is taking all the people and objects and and places that you gathered. Don't go into the dream yet, but stand outside the dream and peek into it from the outside. See whether or not there might be some safe, comforting people, magic, resources, protection in your dream that you might have missed the first time around, but you told it. Or you might have noticed but forgot to mention because sometimes in that scary nightmare where they're in the jungle and the lion is chasing them and they can feel the, you know, the breath, they forgot to notice that actually over in the corner there is a wise woman sitting on the ground with long braids and a lot, a lot of wrinkles on her face. And she is a lion talker, but I didn't notice that at first. So I can access her. She was already there. I just didn't know. Wow. Once we've accessed external and internal resources, 
Then I invite the person to go into the dream. Here's the active imagination part. Um, and we interact with the characters. We interact with the objects, with the scenario, what's happening. And we keep moving the self character in the dream through with the safety and protection until there's a resolution that's safe and positive this time through. So we're sort of re-dreaming the dream forward. We're dreaming it on. Um, I like that. I love that idea. That's it, it. It seems so very simplistic, but it's very, I mean, there's very levels of depth to it, which I, I find fascinating because those are those small little things that because we're so focused on the emotion, the fear or whatever is elicit during that dream, that the small little details, like you were saying about the lady who's sitting there could be the one who might have the answers, but you're worried about, you know, the dragon, the lion or anybody else mm -hmm. that's representing this fear that you're, it's chasing you or doing whatever the, the illicit fear is right. or the emotion, I should say, that's causing that. I just think that's very, very, uh, I think that's a really neat idea. Now with your EMDR, because I've used EMDR and I'm mm -hmm. always, I'm a huge fan of that. I mean, it's, it's changed my life, like, mm. you know, from a big level, like just quieting down the nervous system is, I can't say enough about it. Like, I mean, people talk to me, I had a, a really good friend of mine who had a serious phobia and we were talking to her for years to go to EMDR and she finally went and it, it, it settled her straight down. And mm. I just find it so, so amazingly work. So with the EMDR, can we just touch on that a little bit? I know it's we're we're kind of moving around the topic, but I just find I I love discussing it. I think it's a fabulous tool for people mm. out there. Maybe just touch on you know what it is and how effective it can be. Sure. What's really wonderful EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and the original method designed by Francine Shapiro has to do with with having your eyes move back and forth so that you're um, processing on two sides of your brain. So you're, you're able to cross midline and inside of our brain, there's like a seam in the middle of the brain called the corpus callosum that separates right brain and left brain and different material that different things that happen to us in our life and different ways of, of accessing the world are from our right brain or our left brain. We need our whole brain to be able to process something fully. And what EMDR beautifully does is allows us to access all the parts of our brain and sort of cross that neural network to process more fully. Since the original founding, if you will, of, of the EMDR, we now know that anything that allows bilateral stimulation of the brain will work. So it could be eye movement going back and forth. It could be auditory sounds, right ear, left ear, and it could be tapping on the right side of the body, the left side of the body. And with kids, you know, we, they, we're doing this with like with a group is if you put your hands like this and you hold your thumbs and your palms are facing you and you put your hands over your, your collarbones and you tap right and you tap left. This is called the butterfly hug. Um, I like that. I do this not, we do this not only with kids, but with adults too. And it's incredibly calming to the nervous system, just the tapping itself, but you're reprocessing as you're tapping. So what's fascinating, I think, about EMDR and working with dreams and nightmares is what is when it's eye movements, right? 
rapid eye movement. So there's a correlation between the kind of work we can do with the dreams and nightmares that come from REM sleep. Our eyes are already tracking in our dreams what's going on. And then in waking life, if we use a method such as EMDR, or we're doing dream work, even if we're not doing EMDR, we are processing in a similar way. Our, our neurobiology experiences it as processing through parts of our brain that normally don't talk so well to each other. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, I just, I find it so fascinating. Uh, I'm always a big fan of mm. EMDR or EFT or the combination of thing, but mm -hmm. also too with mm -hmm. the dream work. So I was very excited. I was like, maybe we could just have a whole conversation on EMDR and the benefits of EMDR and PTSD because, you know, it's, uh, I find it very, very helpful for me. It just calmed my system so down. And mm. it's, it, it was amazing how it just reset everything. And just, you know, like you said, uh, made the two hemispheres whole again. That's what, you know, I really found was very, very, so is there maybe a little uh, piece of advice or something you can leave the listeners uh, who are listening or who are watching the video and maybe you can give them a little golden nugget of information that they can take away for, with the show today? Um, well, to, to boil it down to one or two nuggets would be pay attention to your dreams, respect and honor them. They have information for you. Listen to what they're telling you. And we know that two heads are better than one for many things. Um, even Jung himself and Freud were saying, I can't find the full meaning of my dream by myself. I need to talk about it with at least one other person. So find someone to talk about it with because they will have insights and perceptions that you can't have by yourself because, you know, you can't see the back of our own heads unless we've got not one but two mirrors. And then if you want to go even further, work with a dream circle, work with a group of people, because then you get a variety of perspectives and associations to the dream that you yourself or you and one other person might not have thought of. And the beauty of working with a group of people in a group is then we all resonate with each other's dreams. So even if we're working on your dream, I'm going to get a takeaway. And so is the person next to me and the person next to me from our work together on your dream. So now, just to, uh, to touch on that, we're working with dream, uh, like a group or something. Do you, have you ever heard like where people start showing up in each other's dreams to help them out? Oh, yeah. I've been running dream circles for years and years and years, and particularly the circles that have been going on for a long time. People are dreaming each other's dreams, and they'll come in, and wow, everybody had the theme of X today. Everyone had bathrooms in their dream today, for example, just like out of the blue. And it actually does happen, not just because we were talking about it before. <laughs> or everyone had something the color red in their dream. How strange is that? Um, I have one... A woman in the in the group who is a, a mom and her daughter lives in the same apartment complex so they they see each other often and they will often dream share and they will turn up with the same theme if not the same dream um and that's checking in the morning so it's, yeah. it's really interesting yeah, yeah that's I, a whole I, other conversation about like layers of consciousness <laughs> yeah I, I mean yeah i love that sort of stuff and i just think it's so so fascinating and uh Linda, if people are looking to find your work, find where you are on the World Wide Web, all your books, all that stuff, 
you got, do you have the floor right now? Tell everybody where they can find you. Okay. So my, my website is www. It's Linda Yael Schiller, all one word. That would be L-I-N-D-A-Y-A-E-L-S-C-H-I-L-L-E-R.com. And that's my new improved website that really will point you in the direction of what I'm doing with my work these days. And um, I have two books that are out. I'm working on a third. I'll tell you about that in a sec. Nice. Um, and each book has their own website. And you can go to the website for the book and you can look it up on Amazon. The first book is called Modern Dreamwork. And it's www.moderndreamwork.com. And the second book is PTS Dreams. They both have subtitles, but it's enough to just have the main point. And that's, again, www.moderndreamwork.com ptsdreams.com so you can read about the book on the websites and then if you want to buy it from the publishers Llewellyn Llewellyn Worldwide Publishing and it's also on Amazon and it's on Bookshop they're both on bookshop.org which is a compendium of of independent bookstores that you can also support um and coming up next I just got a new contract from Llewellyn I'm writing a book on ancestral dreaming so that's the next thing uh coming down the pipeline well congratulations on that so we'll have to uh we'll have to kind of schedule once the book comes out and have you back on and talk about that because that'd be a really fascinating topic about ancestral because i'm all about uh, ancestral past lives all that crazy stuff i I absolutely adore that and for everybody listening i'll have linda's information in the description below like i always do for every show for all my guests so you just scroll down you'll see it says where it says see more i'll actually have all that information. So you just have to click on the link and you can find, uh, you can go to uh, Linda's website, find out all the great information. You can pick up one of her books, understand what's going on. It's a great read. It's a, it's an invaluable tool. Um, That's one of the things I always say, start doing your dream work and it'll really help. I really help out. Linda, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm glad we finally got to make it happen. It was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, it certainly was. And I'm just, again, very, very uh, thankful and grateful for that. So I'm just going to close off the podcast here. So this has been the Metaphysical Mentor Podcast with Michael Philpott. Thank you so much for joining me and goodbye for now. So long. Thank you. <laughs>